Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Today's podcast guest is none other than gut expert, Dr. Heather Finley, who is a registered dietitian with a doctorate in clinical nutrition. Heather struggled with her own gut health issues for years and studied nutrition to literally figure out what the doctors couldn't. After navigating restrictive diets that left her social life in shambles and food guilt at an all-time high, she started her doctorate program and learned that supporting gut health is about so much more than just what you eat. In today's episode, Heather and I talk about what good gut health means and what the gut-brain connection is. We also discuss why our mindset influences our gut health and what we can do from a nutrition perspective to improve our gut health. We also discuss lifestyle factors for gut health, gut triggers, restrictions, how to increase our tolerance to foods and how to reduce gas. Finally, we talk about some gut health myths that we want to dispel. You can follow Heather on her Instagram. She's at Dr. Heather Finlay or go to her website, which is drheatherfinlay.co. Just before we jump into the episode, today's podcast is brought to you by my premium coaching program, Lean Gut Mind Method. In this busy world, women struggle to prioritize their health and they constantly find themselves frustrated with a lack of results. Lean Gut Mind Method Coaching Service provides expertise, personalization, and a proven system of tools so that women find themselves empowered to live their best lives in a body that they choose. If you're a female who struggles with weight loss, emotional eating, and poor gut health, and you're ready to change once and for all, let me and my team help you. Lean Gutman Method is the last nutrition program you will ever need to invest in and the first program you will see lasting results from. Let me and my team show you the way. Reply for my premium one-on-one 12-week coaching program at www.leangutmindmethod.com. Welcome to the podcast, Heather. I'm so excited to have you on today talking all things gut health. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Wonderful. Well, I love to kick off these episodes by, I guess, letting our listeners understand a little bit about yourself and how you came to be an expert in the area around gut health nutrition. So um, I always tell people the reason that I got into gut health is because I was born constipated, um, which (laughs) sounds really sad, but it's true. Um, I struggled with digestive issues for my entire life. Um, and honestly kind of got to the point at, at one time and thought, well, maybe just everybody feels like this. Maybe it's all in my head. Like people have been telling me, or maybe this is just normal. Um, and then thankfully realized down the road, this is not normal and not everyone feels like I do. And so kind of went on this journey of nutrition and, functional medicine and integrative health and all of that and really kind of started to put the pieces together and realized that my whole life I'd been trying to fix my digestion with just food, um, thinking that like, okay, the reason I'm constipated, the reason I'm bloated is because of something I'm eating. And if I can just figure out the one thing that I'm eating that's causing me to feel bloated, then I'll magically feel better, um, which led to years and years of frustration And when I finally like put all the pieces together and realized how much everything affects the gut, 
I had this huge light bulb moment of, oh, wow, I've been doing this all wrong. And so um, that's a little bit about me and, and kind of how I got here. Yeah, I love it. And sometimes I think those lived or those personal experience are the best because you can, like, you really have that understanding of how hard it must be for so many people. Oh, totally. Yeah. I know now when I have clients in similar shoes, I'm like, I get it. I've been there, but it's not always going to be like this. Like there is hope and you can feel better. So it's nice to be able to provide that perspective. Lovely. And I love that you're on out the podcast today sharing all of your knowledge. So I'd love to start with just the basics. Um, and I guess there's no, I mean, I guess there's a, a different definition of what good gut health means to, to different people. Cause there's no sort of, I guess, dictionary definition of good gut health, but in your understanding, or from what you sort of, um, I guess, practice, what is the basics when it comes to good gut health? What would you say that a good, healthy, functioning gut looks like? Yeah, I love that question because I think there is a lot of confusion around that. But in general, good gut health looks like being able to go to the bathroom with ease, not having really urgent or painful um, bowel movements, not bloating immediately after eating, not bloating progressively throughout the day, Um, not having abdominal pain that keeps you up at night or that interrupts your day. And so generally just having ease with being able to go to the bathroom and the way in which your body is digesting and processing food. I love it. So many elements there where I think a lot of our listeners will sort of be like, oh, oh, that's not normal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh, it's not normal to feel six months pregnant and bloated by the end of the day. Oh, okay. And that's the thing. Cause I spent a long time working um, in one of the gut health clinics at one of the local hospitals um, a few years ago. And the amount of times that people would come in and I guess you just don't know what you don't know. Right. So they'd say, oh, I go to the bathroom maybe once a week, maybe once every two weeks. And I'd sort of say, oh, okay. Like that's, you know, that's something that we definitely need to work towards. They're like, oh no, that's just me. That's just how I've always been. And it's like, what might be how you've always been, but it truly can't be comfortable. And it truly isn't um, what we would actually want for you long-term. So I guess sometimes you don't know what you don't know, do you? Oh, totally. Cause I've, I had many doctors tell me that like, as long as you go to the bathroom once a week, then you're fine. And now looking back, I'm like, no, that's not fine. You should be going to the bathroom every day, um, not once a week. Um, no wonder like people are so uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think about what that process is. Like the reason you go to the bathroom is to get rid of all of those toxins out of your body. That your body, you know, it absorbs all the nutrients. Anything it doesn't need, all those toxins and everything else, it sort of you know excretes when you go to the bathroom. There's a there's a reason for that, and there's a reason that we want to do that regularly versus like once a week or once every ten days, isn't it? Yes, I know. Yeah. I, your poop is one of your main detoxification pathways. So if it's not working correctly, then you might not feel super great. So I totally agree with you. All right. Well, let's go. I guess we'll come back to the nutrition side of things from for gut health, but I really want to touch on this, I guess, concept of what's called the gut brain access or the gut brain connection. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about this? Because it's sort of, I guess, newer research in the last maybe, you know, five or so years, but we do have that research to support that there's such a strong link between what's happening up top and then what's happening in our gut. So can you let our listeners know a little bit more about that and why it is so important as well? Yeah, absolutely. So this was a big missing piece for me um, on my own journey. And I know it's a big missing piece for a lot of our clients, um, which is why I'm so passionate about talking about it. But the gut brain connection is this bi-directional pathway. So your gut and your brain both talk to each other um, and send messages to each other. So the way in which your brain communicates with your gut is through um, when you are stressed, it is communicating to your gut, hey, now is not the time 
to digest a meal. It's time to move blood flow away from the gut and run as fast as you can away from this tiger that, you know, you perceive is chasing you. Um, And so our brain definitely can send these messages down to our gut that help us either to rest and digest and actually digest our food or prioritize other things. Um, And then on kind of the other side of things, your gut actually sends messages back up to your brain. So you have two to five pounds of bacteria in your gut, and these bacteria actually are responsible for helping you to digest fiber from food. And when these bacteria digest fiber, they produce something called short-chain fatty acids. And when these short-chain fatty acids are produced, they are anti-inflammatory to the body, they're anti-inflammatory to the brain. And so you're getting those signals back up the vagus nerve, which is what connects the gut and the brain together, um, which can be helpful for mood and memory and cognition and even things like sleep. Um, So a lot of times you will see anxiety and digestive issues co-occur together, and it's because these two centers um, or these two brains, really, your gut is your second brain, are connected through something called the gut-brain connection, which is connected through the vagus nerve, um, which is communicating both ways. So it's not just about the food that we put in our mouth when it comes to gut health and reducing symptoms. It's also got that big sort of, I guess, missing lifestyle link that I think a lot of people perhaps don't appreciate or don't understand or don't, I guess, um, know how important that missing link is, right, from a lifestyle perspective. Absolutely. I like to explain it like um, everyone's probably had an experience where either at their home or someone else's home, you know, you're sitting there and all of a sudden your dog starts barking and going crazy um, because someone has rang the doorbell. Um, That is your brain when there's a perceived threat. And so if you're constantly in a state of stress and there's this always perceived threat or this dog that is barking, that's the main priority. That's what the dog is focused on, like who's at the door and I need to bark and attack. Um, And when your brain is in this stressed state, it's not focused on the sandwich that you just ate. It's focused on what's going on, why am I so stressed and how do I escape or how do I attack? Um, And that affects your digestive enzyme secretion, your stomach acid secretion, your gut motility, all the things that help you to have a bowel movement, not be bloated, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not just that, I guess, heightened level of stress where it's like, oh, danger, we've got to run away now. It can also just be that low level amount of stress consistently, right? Like if you're in a high pressure job and you might think that you're you know, coping really well with the stress, but you just have that minimal or that low level of stress on a regular basis, that can still have impacts from a gut health perspective as well, can't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I talk to clients about this all the time. They'll say, well, I'm not stressed but then they don't realize that they are not sleeping enough, they're not eating enough, they are over-exercising, they're in maybe a toxic relationship, um, you know, they might have environmental stressors. And so all of these factors add stress to the body. And so if there is a lot of perceived stress, it can keep someone in the state of stress that does over time affect their digestion. Mm-hmm. And what are your favorite sort of, I guess, uh, measures from a lifestyle perspective to manage stress? I really enjoy meditation, but I appreciate that it's not something that I guess works for everybody or that everybody enjoys. So if you had, I guess, top two to three methods to reduce and manage stress, what would your ones be? 
One of my favorites is gratitude journaling. And I know that it's really effective for a lot of our clients. It's just shifting from a state of like focusing on all the what ifs and the like perceived stressors to like, what am I grateful for? And being as specific as possible. So trying to think of something that you're grateful for that happened within the last like 12 to 24 hours. I think that that can really help to manage stress because your perspective shifts. Um, I think meditation is great as well. But in addition to that, like you said, sometimes people aren't quite ready to meditate because they think like that's going to stress them out. So they might have to work their way up to that. But even just getting outside, getting in the sun and, and going for a short walk, I think is a great way to manage stress, change your perspective, change your environment, and just the sun and like resetting your circadian rhythm can be amazing for stress as well. Wonderful. So such an important link, that that lifestyle perspective. And while we're talking about lifestyle and how important stress is to gut health, the other probably big missing link is sleep as well, isn't it? Because I guess in this busy, fast-paced world that we live in, and there's a lot of, you know, women and men who are, you know, quite high achievers and high performers who listen to this podcast, we almost wear lack of sleep is like a badge of honor. It's like, oh, I'll catch up later. Oh, I got six hours. It was pretty good today. But really, (laughs) the older I get, the more I appreciate how important sleep is to so many aspects of our life, but particularly gut health. So how do you feel about, um, I guess, sleep and gut health? And what is that link there that sort of um, can make or break, I guess, our gut health overall? Totally. And I think, I mean, for me, that was me. I was like, I can sleep when I'm dead. You know, I don't need (laughs) sleep. I can function without sleep. And little did I know that I was just functioning on like pure adrenaline all the time. And no wonder I was so constipated and bloated. And I know that this is the case for a lot of our clients, but when you sleep, that's when your body is quote unquote resting and digesting. And so if you aren't sleeping, your digestion is going to be affected. Um, Your stress levels typically will be higher. Your specifically cortisol will be higher or you could be in a state where you're you've been stressed for so long your cortisol is actually super low which is a whole nother podcast for another time but yes sleep is so essential for this whole concept of rest and digest um, and so typically we are recommending that our clients get seven to eight hours of sleep a night which is, usually a lot more than they are used to. Um, and also just like hard for them to kind of wrap their mind around like, Oh, I don't have time to do that, but it's almost like you don't have time not to, um, and recognizing like how much actually more productive they can be when they are rested and feeling better. And so, um, kind of investing in that sleep quality to actually help them improve, um, the rest of their life as well. Mm, definitely sleepers. Yeah, it's so important. But I will put a little sort of um, side note in there because I'm about to have a baby. You're about to have a baby. And <laughs> yeah. so for our sleep deprived mums and dads at home, <laughs> if sleep isn't something that is within your power at the moment, don't freak out just for a couple of months while but, you know, you've got a newborn at home or your toddler's going through a transition phase. It's not going to automatically give you bad gut health if you're not sleeping. So I always like to say, focus on the things that are within your power because, you know, focusing on the fact that you're not getting enough sleep is just going to stress you out even more which is going to, you know, it negatively impact your gut health overall. So if it is within your yeah. power to do, absolutely focus on it. If it's not, um, just just let it go for now. <laughs> I agree with you. And yes, we're both about to be kind of in the no sleep club. So yes, we're going to focus on what we can do versus what we can't do. Because 
I mean, that's the thing about gut health is, and what we talk to our clients about all the time is like, life is always going to throw you curveballs. There's always going to be crazy things that happen. And so if you feel as though you have to like do everything perfectly or follow some super rigid plan or like it has to be this way, then it's going to seem so unachievable to you. And so if you have this like bucket of tools that you can utilize, there's different things you can do at different times, just depending on what life circumstances are, are going on. Um, you know, for example, having a baby and not being able to sleep, but, you know, being able to focus on, on something else that could improve your gut health. Mm, I love it. So in our bucket of tools, when it comes to a gut health perspective, let's chat about nutrition because nutrition is a big tool that we can pop into our bucket. What are some simple ways that we can improve our gut health from a nutrition perspective? So one of the best things that you can do to improve your gut health overall from a nutrition perspective is to focus on variety. So our gut, like I said, has two to five pounds of bacteria and these bacteria all prefer different food. So the gut bugs that like beans are different than the ones that like green beans and different than the ones that like almonds. And so if you are eating a wide variety of foods, you are nurturing and fueling a wider variety of bacteria. And so we know that diversity is king when it comes to gut health. So I know that there's probably people listening thinking, well, I'm restricted to like five foods. How am I supposed to do that? I don't feel good if I, you know, eat outside of that. Um, And so my encouragement would be that the the more variety that you can add in, and obviously that can be a really slow process, adding things in very, very slowly and training your gut to tolerate these things can be really helpful. Um, we also know that omega-3s are really helpful for gut health. We know um, that polyphenols are really good for gut health, and those are found in things like berries and um, pomegranates and cherries. Think of like your really deep colored fruits and vegetables. Um, So you can start to fuel your gut by actually working on the variety of foods that you eat um, every day. I'm interrupting this podcast to bring you a healthy break. Today's podcast is brought to you by my premium coaching program, Lean Gut Mind Method. In this busy world, women struggle to prioritize their health and they constantly find themselves frustrated with a lack of results. Lean Gut Mind Method Coaching Service provides expertise, personalization, and a proven system of tools so that women find themselves empowered to live their best lives in a body that they choose. If you're a female who struggles with weight loss, emotional eating, and poor gut health, and you're ready to change once and for all, let me and my team help you. Lean Gut Mind Method is the last nutrition program you will ever need to invest in, and the first program you will see lasting results from. Let me and my team show you the way. Apply for my premium one-on-one 12-week coaching program at www.leangutmindmethod.com. And you mentioned a really important point where you said that if someone's listening and they're restricted to only a few foods, like where do we go from here? And I think that that's the reality for so many people. And that was definitely me um, back in my early 20s when I started having all of my own issues with gut health. And I basically just cut out, cut out, cut out, cut out. And I got to the point where I think my safe foods were like chicken, eggs, rice, lettuce. 
I don't know, and maybe something, maybe like a small amount of condiment or something like that. Like there really wasn't much there. And I got to the point where I was like, I can't eat this for the rest of my life. What the hell? And then I was still actually getting symptoms from there. So I was like, I'm eating nothing. I'm still symptomatic. Where am I going to go from here? So any words of wisdom for our listeners at home who are down to just a couple of foods or a handful of foods only? Because we know that although they might feel I guess, better from taking out a lot of their trigger foods, it's only going to make them feel worse longer term, right? Because the more we restrict, the more we're restricting our gut bugs and that's going to make things worse long term. So what would you say in terms of beginning to reintroduce things to people? Is there certain amounts or loads or thresholds that we should be going by? Is it one food at a time? Is it a food group? How do you sort of work with your clients around that? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways that you can do this. And of course, it depends, you know, somewhat on the individual. But before you even really think about like adding foods in, I would encourage you to really think about like, is the foundation there? So sometimes the reason that you are bloating, you know, regardless of what you eat, which is a common thing that I hear from our clients is like, doesn't matter what I eat, I'm just going to be bloated or I'm just going to be constipated. Um, Then we need to look at the processing of the food. Um, And what I mean by that is like how your digestive system is processing the food versus the food itself. So things like digestive enzymes and stomach acid and gut motility and all of that, um, because if your body doesn't have the tools it needs to be able to digest food, no wonder you feel terrible. Um, And of course, there are supplements and things that you can take, but from like a lifestyle perspective, even just focusing on how you're eating can be so effective to improve what you're eating. So there's this whole phase of digestion that I think it's often overlooked called the cephalic phase of digestion. And this is like the very typical, you know, you walk past a bakery, you smell a scone, you're like, that smells awesome. And you start salivating. You didn't think you were hungry until you smelled it. Um, That's the cephalic phase is your brain is saying, oh, that smells good. I'm going to produce saliva. That saliva is then signaling your your stomach, your enzymes, et cetera, to secrete and get ready to digest this food. So even by focusing on like sitting down, smelling your food, relaxing, taking some deep breaths before you eat and setting the stage can greatly improve how you digest. Then focusing on chewing super, super well, making sure you're really mechanically breaking down your food um, can be really helpful. On the food side of things, um, you know, everyone's going to be a little bit different. So there's not like a perfect way to reintroduce foods. Typically, we just tell our clients like low and slow. So instead of going from eating like zero broccoli, you might not want to go to eating four cups, you know, in one day. But maybe you can start by like, steaming some broccoli and having it really, really well cooked and eating like one piece of it and just kind of slowly introducing it as your gut tolerates it. Um, I always think softer, more well-cooked foods are easier for people to tolerate versus like a huge raw salad. So that can be a strategy that you can utilize as really well soft cooked foods, Um, but just going really slow. And it might seem kind of silly, but it can really help just like building that muscular endurance of your digestive tract and being able to tolerate these things. 
Mm, I love that. And we had another um, guest, Dr. B, on the podcast, and he was explaining how your um, your gut is like a muscle. And so everything is sort of, it needs to grow and it can it can get stronger over time. And I think when I think about, you know, how, how long it takes to actively build some lean muscle mass, it takes a really long time and it can take that sort of similar amount of time to actually reintroduce foods. Because for so long, I didn't eat onion and garlic. And I remember I spent probably a good year building up my tolerance to onion and people like a whole year, but I'm like, I can happily go out and have any sort of Italian meal and have no issues these days because I gave my gut the time that it needed to, I guess, strengthen over time to, to improve my tolerance to that. So I totally agree that the low and slow, but I think that because we live in such a fast paced world, we're like, oh, slowly I'll do this over a two week period. And then we're like, wait, why am I still getting symptoms? So it really is sort of a a month, if not year sort of thing to really increase our tolerance from a gut health perspective, isn't it? Yeah, it it can take time and it, it depends on a lot of external factors too. You know, we have some clients that they can increase their food variety a lot quicker than others, but you know, they're sleeping really well. They're practicing stress management. They're getting outside in the sunshine. They are, you know, drinking plenty of water, like all these kind of foundational core habits, you know, if you think of it like building a house, they're not trying to put the fancy wallpaper up in the bathroom when the walls aren't there yet. They're laying the concrete foundation first before they put the fancy wallpaper up um, of these foods that they want to be able to add in, um, which can then improve their tolerance to the foods and make it a little bit easier once they add them back in. Mm, Love it. It's all about building that healthy foundation first, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Because when you think about it, you might be able to tolerate things, you know, really well. And you're thinking, oh, great, you know, I've added a heap of lactose in. I mean, my personal tolerance for lactose used to be like a spoon of yogurt. I can happily have two serves of dairy a day now, which I love because I do really enjoy dairy. But I guess when on days that I feel a little bit stressed or I haven't slept as well, my tolerance, I do notice, goes down a little bit. And again, mm-hmm. I think that's something that it's that important lifestyle piece that you talked about before, where if we're not doing all the things right from a foundational perspective, it doesn't really matter what we put in our mouth because there's still that missing link there, isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you could tolerate one meal one day really, really well. And then the next day, maybe you don't sleep very well and your boss calls you while you're eating and you're super stressed and all of a sudden you're super bloated after. Like sometimes it's not the food, it's the external factors that are causing this reaction to the food. But food is obviously a lot easier to blame because you can see it, you can taste it, you can smell it, but you can't necessarily like see your gut motility or like how rested your body is like obviously you can kind of feel if you're tired or not but it's not as tangible as like seeing food being able to touch it and and cook it etc and I love that we're talking about this because I think that that's it's really confusing for so many people. They're like, I just don't know what sets me off because I eat, you know, this all the time. And then this random time I ate it and it was like, it was terrible. And I don't know what happened or, you know, I can never tolerate this. And then one time I went out and I was enjoying, you know, being out with my friends, family, I was relaxed, I was on holidays and then I could eat all these foods and nothing happened. Mm -hmm. And I think it's that, again, that important lifestyle piece that we just, we want to link everything to food when it comes to gut health, but we forget about all of those other areas. And I'm sure you hear it as well where people go, my gut health is so much better when I go on holidays, but I'm eating worse. Like I don't understand. And it's that big stress and sleep component, isn't it? Oh, totally. Yeah. It's like, why do I feel amazing when I'm on vacation, but then (laughs) I come home and I feel terrible? Or why do I feel great on the weekends, but I don't feel good during the week? And, you know, there's just, there's so many factors that affect like how we feel, how we tolerate food, 
um, and like the whole picture and how it goes together. Mm. And thinking about, I guess, our tolerances and um, our gut health triggers, how do we identify gut health triggers? Because again, I feel like that's a, it's just a minefield. It's such a confusing area for so many people. They're like, I know my gut isn't, isn't great. I know that I'm reacting to some things, but I have no idea what I'm actually reacting to. Yeah. So, I mean, you can definitely have food triggers. Like there are ways to test for that. I typically actually don't go down that rabbit hole with people as far as like food sensitivity testing is concerned, just because most of the food sensitivity tests are going to be more like memory, you know, like you eat a lot of apples and so apples show up. And so instead of like looking at the triggers, I think it's really helpful and useful to look at why are these foods triggering me or like why why is my body not tolerating these things so is it because i have lack of diversity of bacteria in my gut is it because i have really slow gut motility is it because i have bacterial overgrowth in my gut that's causing me to produce a lot of gas you know when i eat certain foods is it a stomach acid issue is it a stress issue and so people have probably heard of this concept of like you know, quote unquote root cause, but like really kind of looking beyond food, like what's going on, on like more of a digestive level that's contributing to the fact that you are bloating regardless of what you eat or feeling super um, constipated regardless of what you eat um, or having acid reflux or whatever the symptom might be um, instead of kind of patch treating it by just like cutting things out and cutting things out and cutting things out. And the next thing you know, you're eating five different foods. Um, so there's lots of ways that you can look at that. One is looking at like patterns in your symptoms. There's obviously testing that you can do looking at um, like how often you're having a bowel movement, how complete your bowel movements feel. So you have to get really personal with like the symptoms that you're having and how your body is kind of showing you these signs. Um, but paying attention to those clues is really helpful in helping you to understand, okay, what are the missing pieces here and how can I address those? Mm -hmm. And speaking of symptoms, I guess a big one for a lot of people is gas. And I guess gas um, to some extent is is completely normal, right? Um, mm -hmm. I always like to say like even Oprah gets gas, <laughs> even the queen gets <laughs> gas. So, you know, gas is normal, but when when is gas not normal, I guess? And what are the main culprits of excessive gas from your experience? Because I feel like that's a question that a lot of people they don't like asking their house practitioners because it's kind of, you know, they're a little bit embarrassed or they're like, oh, is this normal? I'm not sure. Or, you know, it's not something that we, we talk about a lot. So I would really love to have that conversation with you today to, to normalize what a normal amount of gas is and mm -hmm. when it's not normal and what we do about it. Yeah. So I think I've read like varying like stats on this, but it's normal for someone to pass gas like 10 to 20 times per day. And so um, yes, your gas can be normal, just like your bloat can be normal as well. Like you can, it can be normal to eat a huge plate of broccoli and get bloated. Um, but the differentiation, especially with gas, is if it's chronic, if it's very foul smelling, if it's very painful, if it's very hard to pass, if it is like sulfur smelling, that can be really indicative of something going on. Um, if it's happening like after you eat, every single time after you eat, that can definitely be a clue of, of why you're having the gas. And so um, 
the cool part is that our body gives us these clues. And so if we can kind of tune into like, okay, when are you getting the gas? How is it presenting? You know, is it presenting in like kind of clusters? Um, If it is, then you're probably constipated. Is it presenting as more of like really foul smelling kind of sulfury smell? Like, okay, what's going on gut bacteria wise? If it smells like a dirty diaper, you know, like I know it's very awkward, like you said, to talk about, but if you are able to understand the pattern and what is how it's presenting, you can understand the cause of it and then address it um, and not have to deal with it. Because let's be honest, gas is the worst. Nobody wants to have gas. Um, And I think, you know, it can give you a lot of relief, not only physically, but also emotionally to not have to deal with it anymore. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I guess the gas one is a good tick off, but also bloating is probably something that we, I guess, hear as practitioners so much. So again, when is bloating normal? And when is bloating something that we probably need to see a professional such as a dietitian about? Because, you know, there's something else clearly going on. So if you are bloating, you know, every day when you, if you're bloated, when you wake up, that is not normal. Um, That shows me that potentially you're really constipated. If you're bloating like progressively throughout the day, I want to look at your gut bacteria. Like, is there dysbiosis? Is there SIBO? What's going on? If you're bloating like immediately after eating, I want to know about stomach acid and more of kind of the digestive process. So those are some clues that, you know, something could be going on. Um, But like I said earlier, it can be totally normal to get bloated after eating a meal, especially if it's something you don't normally eat or have a lot of. But if it's chronic, persistent, and won't go away, then we definitely want to tune into, okay, what's going on um, and, and address it. All right, I have that last question for you. Yeah. And I'm sure social media, um, just like it is for me, has been wonderful for you and your business and getting out our messages. But at the same time, it's frustrating to see so much like misinformation on social media as well. So what are a few of the myths that you've seen around gut health or heard on social media that you would like to kind of just like put to bed today and help people understand that actually, you know, that's not true? <laughs> oh my gosh, there's so many. Um Well, I would say that like the biggest one is that like everyone has to follow a specific diet to have a healthy gut. I think there's a lot of like misinformation about there. Like if you want to have a healthy gut, then you can't ever eat X, Y, and Z again. And that's just not the reality. Um, You know, we know what is good for our gut. Like I said earlier, stress management diversity of foods that you eat, sleep, um, you know, sunshine, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think that there's like a hard and fast rule of like, if you want to have a healthy gut, then you should never, ever have, you know, gluten ever again, or you should never have dairy ever again. Um, I think like the fear, even that that induces, like sometimes the stress of that is worse than the food itself. Um, which typically can cause digestive symptoms for all the reasons that we 
discussed earlier. Definitely. There's so there's so many. I can think of like a hundred off the top of my head, but <laughs> I know you're a very busy lady and I'll let you go. So thank you so much for coming on the potty and sharing all of your wisdom with our listeners. Um, I'm sure that you're going to get a lot of DMs um, and of course you're about to go on maternity leave as well. So let our listeners know where they can find you and follow you on social media. And if you're doing consultations at the moment, if you see clients worldwide, or is that just something that you do locally, um, you know, around Texas? Yeah. So um, you are welcome to connect with me on Instagram. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Heather Finley. So Dr. Heather Finley, F-I-N-L-E-Y. Um, and my website is www.drheatherfinley.co. Um, and our program, which is called Gut Together, is our comprehensive gut health program. It's a six-month program that helps women identify the underlying issues of their digestive um, complaints and concerns and address it from a holistic perspective, utilizing nutrition, lifestyle, um, supplementation, mindset, etc. So you're welcome to reach out if you are curious about that um, or read about it on my website. Wonderful. I can't wait. And I'll make sure I put all those links in our show notes as well so our listeners can easily find them. Thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. <laughs>